dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called Sign of the Times. where we find a groove and we get into it. My name is Brandon, and here with me, as always, is my heterosexual life partner, but don't tell him I'm cheating on him with homosexual men. It's Colton! Hi. Hi. I, that might be... Well, no, I guess... I think that's the first time you've referred to me as your heterosexual life partner. In public. In public. It's official. <laughs> I thought you were about to complain about Eat your it, intro Elliot. again. <laughs> Eat a fat one. So typically I ask questions and we do small talk, but this album is so long that instead we're going to play a little game. We're going to play a song association. We've played it a couple times before. Oh, boy. Okay. So the rules. Let me just go over them. I give you a word and you give me a lyric or a title that includes that word. All right? I butchered this so badly last time we did it. Well, now so. it's your chance for redemption. You did not. Be nice to yourself. Well, I didn't react quickly enough, I thought. Oh, like, that's, yeah, no, that's, you didn't. That's mm -mm. how I you, 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 would, you would have failed Terrell's game. <laughs> I'm stressed about it, too. Don't, I'm just I'm new. breathing. I'm, I'm breathing. Yeah, I was so stressed out. <laughs> Colton. <laughs> the word is love. Love. That's a background vocal from... Love is all you need. How absolutely boring. I know, but you said the first thing. <laughs> all right. And up next, we have here, it's the girl with that body, adi, adi. It's Melissa. The fuck are you talking about? Girl, I'm talking about you. <laughs> Your word of the day, today, is change. And I know a change gonna come. Okay. Okay. Oh, yes, it will. It will. That's I believe one. it. That was good. It was much better than our first contestant. Our last contestant. <laughs> oh! I'm gonna pee my pants. <laughs> wow. You make me really want to play this game again. We're moving on. Last but not least, there is no need for a pinch because this is no dream. It's Jeannie. Cute. I like it. Nice. <laughs> okay, your word is blue. God, not to be generic, but the the '90s song, the blue da ba dee da ba da. Da ba dee da ba da da ba dee da ba da. I'll accept that I, answer. Okay, okay. I well, forever sorry. thought that the someone told me that the actual lyrics were, uh, "If I were green, I would die." If I Ma, were green, well, I would yeah, die. I know that's that not, too, but that's not it though. I saw it. I was mad when I found out that that wasn't. I heard, I thought somebody oh. figured out a secret and told me what what they were actually saying. I but see. No. It really is just nonsense. It's nonsense. I uh, have the memory of that song when I took dance when I was a kid. Um, we danced to that song because it was big at the time. I don't remember the dance. Okay, we're talking about an album today that um, truly has puzzled me, and I truly have no idea why I picked it. Um, <laughs> It's Prince's ninth studio album, okay? A double disc, all right, two vinyls, sign O the Times. Um, 
And it's interesting because, I mean, we'll get into it later. Um, this was right before he did this album. He fired his backing band, The Revolution, um, and decided that he was going to do this album himself. And this album has quite a journey to its final iteration. Mm. Um, yeah, it's 16 tracks, so we're just going to get right into it. All right? It opens up with uh, Sign of the Times, the titular song. And we've got a little beat machine going on. I love a beat machine. Um, and the whole song is basically painting a picture of what life is like in 1987. This was the only song I liked. Like, I genuinely was like, oh! Like, I started out and I was like, this is all right. This it's is going to be fine. This is going to be great. Yeah, mm. I feel like it's it's kind of misleading because it makes you think this album is going to have, like, a theme to it. Yeah, no, it drops like you off at the top of the mountain, and then you have to figure out your way down. <laughs> Stumbling yeah. down. Going down an avalanche. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also, this, I liked two songs, like, my first few listens, and this was one of them. I, I really liked this song because I do love the beat machine, and, um, oh my God, it's fucking heavy. That for, He opens right up with, let's talk about AIDS, right? That first line, um, a guy in France died of a big disease with a little name, AIDS, and then talks about his girlfriend um, uses the needle and dies of the same thing, drug use. And then the next line is talking about uh, the Disciples, which is a gang in Chicago who um, uh, dabbled in drug trafficking and um, uh, uh, you know gun violence and all that. So yeah, life's not great in 1987. I, um, I found a little snippet uh, from Susanna, um, more in depth on the inspiration for this song. Um, she says that on the morning of July 13th, 1986, they were jolted awake by the Oceanside earthquake, right? And they decided to leave LA and they were flying back to um, Minneapolis. And uh, before leaving the airport, Prince saw the front page of the LA Times that contained an article about uh, the AIDS crisis going on and also an article about um, President Reagan's strategic defense initiative. Um, and then the same day, on the front page of the Minneapolis uh, Star Tribune, there was an account of murder caused by a gang called the Disciples, which is uh -huh. in the song. Um, so basically, he just like kept seeing all these like horrific news stories uh, in 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 the same day. Y'all, if Prince was alive in 2020, let me tell you what. Oh. <laughs> let me tell you, the album coming out in 2021 would be <laughs> Man. absolutely epic. <laughs> yeah, it would. I think he just would have left on the spaceship at that point. <laughs> <laughs> he would ditch us. He'd be like, you know what? Maybe. No. Goodbye. <laughs> I, I got, just to give credit where credit's due, I got that all from genius.com which is the only place I found that from, so. Highly recommend Genius.com. If you go, if you want to dive into some rabbit holes, <laughs> we're, we're, you absolutely will. We're not sponsored. We're not. Way. We're just, but we used it like a little bit for, for some of this, so. Yeah, so like, despite all of the subject matter, I, I really like this song. And really, every other song is, I mean, mostly like, upbeat as far as subject matter goes. It's about love and sex and whatever. But, oh, oh, Gesundheit. <laughs> uh, 
It looked like something tragic was about to Sorry, go down. I did over not there. want that to be a loud situation <laughs> right now. Just have it, have it recorded into. The... <laughs> oh. But uh, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. This is one of the only songs that I liked in this album. Um, are you offended? Lightly, yeah. <laughs> Tell me why. Rebuttal. Uh, well, just. I, I actually enjoyed the album pretty well, but we'll get through that as we go. I, I think, think is all there is to it. I think that through the research, I'm like slowly having a change of heart. Like okay, I'm you're like, coming to I, it then? Yes, I'm getting I want to know, what was your expectation of Prince going into this? Well, I think I... Uh, yeah, you like, know, what, what have you listened to by Prince? Uh, no, admittedly, no complete albums, okay, okay. right? Just the hits. Right, and I love the hits. Right, of who does not? Right. Well, yeah. He 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 has some good bops. He has some good love making tunes, and so I thought it was gonna be like, I thought it was gonna blow my mind because uh, this album, because of the backstory, because he fired the revolution and decided to do this himself. I was like, oh shit, yeah, he's using all kinds of new new toys and new instruments, and it's gonna be fantastic. But um, I think Colton and I agree. It's it's a very it's a it's very much a product of its time. It sounds like it's from the 80s. And I'm not a huge fan so, of the 80s. This was kind of what I expected from Prince. Um, though I will say I felt like this album had less of a straightforward direction than compared to some of his other ones. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, I, I used the fancy word pastiche a little bit ago with uh, Melissa. It's just kind of like a bunch of different different. Things that he had coming out of him that he just kind of threw together. No, it just feels like an album full of B sides, which I told him it's not, a, it's not a bad thing that it's an album full of B sides, right. but I could also do without everything well, on this album. That's okay. the thing. There's even a critic who said uh, he made a similar remark that these all sounded like outtakes. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm, what I he said that. is that the thing is, is that Prince's outtakes are like rock harder, sound better than like anybody else's Most outtakes. Things, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. So. I, you know, I get why people like it, but, you know, I, I was telling him from an outside perspective, though, not knowing a whole lot about Prince, this album would be incredibly confusing. Yeah. Bonkers. Like, it just does yeah. not make sense at all. It I think literally you have sounds to know like they just a little bit a whole bunch of stuff him. on an album and yeah. And that's why, like, I think uh, uh, doing the research and diving yeah. a little okay. deeper, everything's starting to make sense. I get it. Right. But I do understand it, and I agree with you. But the uh, a par example of the the bonkers aspect is it goes out of this really somber sort of like montage overview of what's happening in 1987, sign of the times, right, into playing the sunshine, which is like this crazy upbeat, kind of nonsensical dance number, and it, it's it's a little jarring. That I skip out of halfway through. Oh. She was not playing games. Um, no, I was not. I was like, this is a two disc album. I don't have time for this. Like, once I get the gist, we're out. We gotta go. I get your point, Prince. I feel like this is uh, a good point to throw in that quote from the producer, Susan Rogers, about how him writing songs at this point in time was like sneezing. Like, he just like, a song would pop out and then he would write another one and another one. It just like, float out of them like they were nothing yeah um i, I do want to point out yeah even those playing the sunshine seems not nonsensical is that my phone yes oh my gosh you guys i am so sorry hand that bitch over shut your mouth never 
Okay, sorry, everybody. Okay, anyway, um, the this I, I wanted to point out a lyric in this play in the sunshine. The lyric: "The color green will make your best friend leave you. It will make them do the walk." Somebody pointed out on Genius.com that "The Walk" is a song by The Time, and famously, Prince founded The Time with a few other people I- in Minneapolis. And then you know he had some something happened. He left, and it was taken over by Morris Day, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, but all that all that history in Minneapolis, like him being an up-and-coming artist and all the other black artists in Minneapolis, like that, that's worth diving into, I think. Um, yeah. Because I'm reading this 33 and a third book, um, which is a series um, – and this one focuses on Sign of the Times, and I mostly don't like it, but it did point out um, some really interesting things in that um, Minneapolis had one black radio station, right? And it went off the air every night at 8.30. So there was really not much of an outlet for black artists. And um, they were, everybody was sort of fighting an uphill battle to uh, play in these clubs. I want to read sort of a quote from uh, Bobby Vandal, who is a, white um, local artist, like local Minneapolis artist. Um, and he said that's l- uh, largely why people like Prince and Terry Lewis and Jimmy Jam got to where they got. Uh, the black groups had one of two choices, either hang it up or transcend that scene. Um, he said it was racist, but uh, it kicked a lot of people in the ass. Um, and yeah, and I think that's why Prince was such a big deal, um, especially in Minneapolis, because he... he was in the top 40. Like, he was playing on all these mainstream stations. Yeah, I think uh, Terry Lewis and um, Jimmy Jam, too, their whole history uh, after Prince becoming producers, they were just as influential in their own way, I would say. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think the the music scene in Minneapolis at this time is – I don't know much about it myself other than what we've learned about this album. I think it's really interesting. Um something to explore outside of this. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, great. Um, (laughs) I don't know. There's not much more to say about Play in the Sunshine. It's a pretty simple song, so. It is. And it, like a bunch of other songs on this album, is sort of one note to me. Like, I feel like it starts at one point and then, like, it doesn't change in dynamic. It's not like I don't know. It doesn't like go quiet or go like really, really loud. It just sort of stays that same one note throughout you know, the whole time. I would like to advocate here that, um, you know, Prince is pretty, especially at this point in time, strongly rooted in uh, funk music. And funk music is a whole lot of one note, endless jam session. So it could be that his funk influences have something to do with that. You know what? Fine. I will forgive <laughs> Prince for that. I mean, I'm not completely disagreeing with you, but I am Just saying, kidding. like, there's a rhyme and a reason for it. Yeah. 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 So we we come out of Playing the Sunshine, and we go into Housequake, another silly dance number, which I'm all for. This I love this one. This one I didn't hate. <laughs> <laughs> this one I felt like I needed to be at some, some great house party. Like. I Yeah, no, I agree. But also, like, it... It 
features the Camille personality a little bit in it. Her first appearance. Yes. Yeah. And you can really wait. This is the one where there's like this beautiful setting of a stage and introducing of like, and now you're gonna meet like this other, which he had not like he'd been working on like Camille. Right. Yeah. But you know, like very quietly. Yeah. It was kind of you're not really supposed to know about Camille. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, he recorded a whole album as Camille. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it and just like, wasn't released. He chose not to release it. So it's interesting that he, like, overall, like, scrapped the project, but, like, is okay with putting her on a few little things here and there. Yeah. And, uh, like, having an alter And he doesn't ego. come out and explain anything about her. Like, no. he's just like, and here's, here's Camille. Here she is. Song, and you're just like, oh, okay, yeah, interesting. And you do get a little, like, behind the scenes of how he did it. Um, uh, I don't know what the lyrics are. I think it's just, like, shut up, Dan. Uh He says that over and over again. At the end of the song, you hear Prince himself say, shut up, Dan. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. In In his lower register, yeah. Right, like, at normal speed. The tape is at normal speed. You hear it. Yeah. I love that that was the solution to it. He was like, just speed it up, and I have a woman's voice. There (laughs) it is. Brilliant. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and it is so bonkers that like he has he has this like tight concept in mind, and yet this album is so fucking bonkers, like all over the place. <laughs> yeah. So out of housequake, we go into. I'm so excited to talk about this. <laughs> we go into the ballad of Dorothy Parker, um, and and you know, sort of echoing that uh uh production side of things in this song um I, you said it earlier colton that you couldn't really hear what you know this was referring to i couldn't really oh, either yeah supposedly um something with the mixing console there uh, a new board was installed in the studio when they did the song and uh susan rogers noticed something with the board that made it sound like underwater yeah, yeah i didn't really hear that i heard it kind of in the uh uh synthesizer yeah it was uh, it was very light like it, yeah. it probably probably wasn't something that anybody else would have noticed but they noticed you know what i mean yeah like i didn't maybe. feel like it was very prominent or i didn't feel well, like I it was the assumed, only one or anything like that i kind of assumed if that's what they were referring to that uh it was the just the sound of the synthesizer you know like not anything to do with recording and i don't know if that's necessarily what it's referring to but that's just the only thing that i kind of thought sounded like was underwater um and the cause of the noise that she was talking about um there was a snowstorm that caused a blackout and the power failure caused the tape deck to run at half speed oh so it took out all of like the high end that was on that tape deck or something i don't know that's interesting yeah so but prince heard it and he was like yeah fuck i like that keep it and so that's what we got um and although this song is potentially about a fight with his uh, then-partner, Susanna, um, whose twin sister, Wendy, was a guitarist in the band, in the backing band. For uh, in Revolution. In Revolution, excuse yes. me, thank you. Um, he uses the ballad of Dorothy Parker. He did not realize that Dorothy Parker is an actual person, as an actual historical figure. And we went down a rabbit hole today. Yes, oh man. Uh, this was really fun. This has really nothing to do with the album itself, but I just uh, wanted to share a few things with Dorothy Parker. She was a uh, poet, 
and satirist, writer, critic, bunch of stuff, uh, in prominently in like the twenties to like the forties. Um, she was just she was a sassy little flapper girl. <laughs> A firecracker. Um, I found some quotes from her that I did not realize were um, Dorothy Parker quotes. Um, and I thought I would just read a few to the group here um, just to see what your reaction is. So uh, the first one, you can lead a horticulture, but you can't make her think. But um, <laughs> um Men seldom make passes at girls who wear glasses. Dorothy Parker, it makes me happy. You said what? What was that quote? Men seldom make passes at girls who wear glasses. Yes, see, that's the quote I I knew, right? But didn't realize it was coined by Ms. Parker. Um, I think they're just new. It's fine. They're just boys. It's fine. Listen, okay. I just I knew the quotes. I just didn't know they were from her. But um, one of my favorites was uh. She was referring to, uh, she had just gotten divorced from one of her husbands, and she was having a bunch of affairs, and one of them got her pregnant, and she says, uh, what, what was it? It was, um, serves me right for putting all my eggs in one bastard. <laughs> I love it! <laughs> yeah, I really Fantastic. love that one. Um, and then my favorite, one of my other favorite ones was that uh, when <laughs> she was having a good time, <laughs> she was, she wasn't taking no shit from nobody. There's, there's a bunch of really great quotes from her and just her reaction to like things that men do is really great. But, <laughs> uh, my favorite one, when she was asked what they want to have put on her epitaph, she said, excuse my dust. <laughs> I just thought it was good. Uh, and through that, we learned that, um, on her gravestone or yeah i think it was a garden that they uh the naacp uh had a nice plaque written for her um kind of commemorating um because she was also side hustle a social justice warrior yes um so yeah dorothy parker appreciation moment yeah um she also helped pen the original a star is born so yeah Suck it, Gaga. That's how I learned about her. Ah, I see. I went down a Judy Garland rabbit hole, which brings you into a whole world of craziness. So, (laughs) Dorothy Parker was just such a treat because she was a firecracker. (laughs) She really was. She really was. So, yeah, yeah. Anyway, back to (laughs) back to Prince. Back to the man of the hour. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So it goes into. The next track, It. And uh, let me ask you guys, what do you think It is about? Should we buzz in? Sure. (laughs) Phone a friend. It's about sex. This is what it's about. It's Prince. (laughs) I know. (laughs) They're all about sex. (laughs) Every one of them is about sex. Yeah, it's a recurring thing. That's how you know it's Prince. It's about sex. Yes. Mama. Uh, I did want to take this moment That's though. That's why you listen uh, to Prince. <laughs> you you mentioned um, uh, <laughs> earlier in it. You mentioned the the beat machine, the drum machine that they use in this album. Yes, let's talk about it. Um, there's one other thing. I only bring these up because they were kind of like state of the art technology at the time. But mm-hmm. um, the Lin LM1 uh, drum machine was like a brand new thing, uh, and it was used on a bunch of records in. Uh, 
87 and onward. Um, but that was um, one of the first drum machines to use uh, actual recorded drum sounds as its sampler, uh, sample sounds, um, which is just cool. I thought that was awesome. And then there's the keyboard, uh, which I have to look up what the name on that was. Really I have it here. The Fairlight SM1. Yes. And it was a synth, a sampler, and a DAW. Yeah, so that um, that was the very first. Uh, that's, that's kind of where the term sampling came from in music was this particular sampler. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I just thought these were important to talk about because uh, kind of lends itself to how Prince was really, like, trying to get to the cutting edge of things. Um and he used the drum machine in particular. He used in like every single song, almost on this album. Um, so yeah, just interesting little side note. Especially in uh, the next song, he has like that. It's like a reverse snare hit. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I think yeah. Um, which the next song is "Starfish and Coffee." Oh, I didn't hate this one either. I didn't hate this one. I actually played this one all the way through. This one's an easy one to yeah to get it's into. It's cute. It is cute. It's cute. It, it it it's a lovely story. Yeah. Um. So it's about a real life person, Cynthia Rose. Uh, mm-hmm. Susanna and Wendy were friends with her um, in grade school. Um. She was uh, an autistic child. Um. That they came to know very well. And whenever she said, uh, whenever they asked, like, you know, what she had for breakfast, originally she would say starfish and pee-pee. But, you know, when they decided they wanted to write a song about her, because uh, Susanna always told these stories to Prince, whenever they decided to write a song about her, Prince said, okay, pee-pee's got to (laughs) go. She said, all right, all right, all right. So it's starfish and coffee. Um, But, yeah, it's just a a, a lovely song about um, a grade school friend. And I I thought, so I, in in research, researching this, found an article that Susanna told the whole story about it, right? Um, and the conclusion to it is, is I would almost prefer that I didn't know what the conclusion was, but she talks about the last time that she, like, kind of dealt with uh, Cynthia, and she was in the bathroom, and she kept hearing sounds coming from the stall next to her, and she opened the door and saw Cynthia with, like, her hair wet and, like, her face is all covered in water and all this stuff. She was bobbing for apples in the toilet. <laughs> and, it, man, it's she, – she really um, – she does not talk down about Cynthia at all. Um, in fact, in this it's article. Qu- quite the opposite. It's yes. with great admiration. Yeah, she talks about her basically – for her, for Susanna, this song is just kind of about the joy that Cynthia uh, always had with her, like every day that they hung out and all that. Um, I love the story about her favorite number too. Every day she would ask like pe- kids, like, you know, do you know what my favorite number is? And because she always said twelve, everybody knew it was twelve, and so you know they would respond twelve, and she'd always be shocked, she'd be floored that they knew it was twelve. <laughs> yes, it is twelve. <laughs> and then one day in sixth grade. They were riding the bus, and she looked a little somber, was staring out the window. And then she asked, do you know what my favorite number is? Um, and she said 12, and she said no. And Susanna was ecstatic. She was so excited. She was like, oh, my God, what is it? And she said, it's 20. <laughs> uh, Adorable. So good. Um, and this song, I think, uh, is a good example. In that book, 33 and a Third, I was reading, um, the author talks a lot about 
in this time in the 80s, there was a lot of nostalgia for like the 60s. Like if you asked any music buff, they said the greatest music was made in the 60s and all this music is bullshit. So there was all this like this want for the music back then. Um, uh, and there's uh, some people liken this to like a Beatles-esque song. And I like I could see it, but it's not like the first thing I would like compare it to. Um, there are other songs that I would give that distinction to on this album. Yeah, this one. Um, but I, I think it's really interesting because uh, Prince was trying to reinvent himself um, hardcore. Because what's that? What, what was that shitty movie that came out that Prince was in? Wasn't Purple Rain? Under the Cherry Moon. Yes, that came out. Um, and it says shitty, having never seen the movie. Before. Well, I say shitty because it, was it did hated. so poorly. It yeah. did poorly. It People did. hated okay. Okay. it. They really did. Uh, specifically, the black community. It seemed as though he was like uh, saying "fuck y'all." It. Uh, uh, she delves into it. The author delves into it uh, far better than I ever could, obviously. Um, but I mean, you could see it in the record sales too. Like, it, "Purple Rain" came out in '84. It sold 10 million copies. The next year, Around the World in a Day came out. It sold three million, and then Parade, the album that is accompanied, that accompanied Under the Cherry Moon, um, sold one million copies. So you can sort of see. Oh my God, it is winter time, isn't it? She is bundled up like a burrito. Yeah, um, I was she trying not to so be distracting, but I couldn't figure it out. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Our professionalism is a top-notch. Operas. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares? Cut them out. No, no, I don't give a shit. All right. Listen, you guys, it's cold, okay? It's winter. We will never be warm again. Okay, anyway. Did you um, do it for me? I did. I think of you every winter. I'm like, Jeannie, she will never survive. Oh, God. I've been a little more positive about winters lately, but it, that's I'm glad great. you remember I my hatred. <laughs> Till I feel it. I can relate to it. Um, what was I saying? You could see the decline in his record sales um, with the albums that came out beforehand. So uh, I think Prince knew that it was definitely time for a shakeup. He couldn't just be like the success at like Purple Rain. Like that was the thing, you know? Like that was yeah. a nice little seemingly peak in his like career. But realistically, like, of course he had way bigger dreams for himself. Yeah. And um, with the firing of the revolution, he ditched the purple hue color scheme. Now he's he, he was going for a peach tone, peach and black. Um, but yeah, I think that's why this album is so like, um, I don't want to say groundbreaking because that's absolutely not the word. Uh, because it, it, we were talking about it, it really wasn't. Like he was just, it was just, you know, you saw an, an artist starting to use new tools. Right. I, I was referring to, like, um, I mean, it's 1987, and while he is still one of the more progressive people around and he's kind of still at the top of his game, I, I didn't feel like, as far as Prince goes, that this album was particularly <sighs> progressive-sounding. Um, it was in a way that it just was him doing something completely different than he had been doing before. It's still not outside of the box of things that I would consider like Prince music. Um, but it was definitely a step forward for him personally, creatively. Um, 
so yeah, I mean that's that's just my thoughts on it. Um, I just I liken it to the fact that like in rock music you had uh, like the Cure was still they were they'd been around for a while at this point. Um, just two years from from eighty seven, you have the first Nine Inch Nails record that comes out. Like things things were starting to change, and I feel like Prince was changing, but not necessarily with the rate of everyone not, else. Not just okay, his yeah. own personal change. But at the same time, he was sort of challenging um, artists like him, yes, who, who yes. are at his level, like I guess, success-wise, like pop stars. Well, like the time at the time this came out, that was the same year Bad came out. Michael Jackson's Bad. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Look how opposite yeah, those there, two albums there's are. There's a whole list of records that came out. In Huge records. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Oh my God. There was. So one kind of got buried at first, actually. Like it just didn't. Yeah, and I mean, do well especially the with, with like Bad and uh, I had the list, but like the other records are like. Who's that girl? A lot of the other records are like defining pop records where like a l- most of the songs are all catchy as hell and then you have this. Michael had a record out that yeah. year yeah. Like, it was... Faith, yeah but basically like all of their records were like instantly appealable whereas Prince this one took a I little think, bit more to dig I think that that's because theirs were more like in the pop sound whereas yes. Prince stayed very true to like ultimately like his sort of like funk r&b sound yes which wasn't the hippest sound to like the general public at the time right. which is probably the only reason it's easy to look back and perceive it kind of like yeah oh it wasn't you know up there with the others but i think it was just slightly dipped under in a lightly different genre i guess is a weird way to describe it no that's i that's what i was getting at basically mm-hmm. it's just like at least the way that i i kind of listen to this it's not groundbreaking to me because he hasn't writing anything that's like completely different than what was happening in the 80s but for him personally this was a really big change and that's i think that's kind of the what my takeaway was for it anyway and also with these these synths and these beat machines these were new toys that were yes. around um and everybody was playing with them but nobody had them figured out yet you know what i mean like um I w- uh, used to work at a dog kennel, and I am a pretentious boob and love LCD sound system, and so that's what I was playing. And and the this guy that I was working with, who is quite a bit older than me, um, his name is Kevin, and he was like, you, you know, who is this? And I was like, this is LCD sound system. And he asked when the album came out, and it was like, I don't know, 2010 or something. Um, and he's like, this sounds like it should be from the 80s. And I was <laughs> like, yeah. He's, he's kind of got all the same instruments that you would find in the 80s. And he was like, but he really figured it out. Like, I think if Prince, you know, <laughs> had those same <laughs> tools, you know. Yeah. <laughs> they were just uh, victims, yeah. Of, uh, victims of time. Yeah, yeah. I think if Prince had these tools today, he didn't, like, redid this album, it would, it would appeal to me a lot more, I think. Not, I mean, you know, we just did Black Star in the last episode, and you compare what he sound, what David Bowie sounds like on that record, compared to what he sounded like in nineteen eighty, whatever. Yeah. World completely, difference. completely different realm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that is that the tongue pop for this episode? Yeah. Mm. Mm. Um, so we go out of uh, Storefish and Coffee and go into Slow Love, which is, you guessed it, about sex. Um, 
But it's it's a more sensual song. It's about making love. It's about making love. Not fucking. We do a little bit of that. We do. <laughs> Who does? Okay, maybe not you. <laughs> some of us like to switch it up every once in a while. You know, we do. We like some variety. Okay. Okay. Let's, okay. let's bring the train okay, back one. on the track. <laughs> a lot of princess songs are about fucking, not making love. They're about fucking. Yeah. It's about some making love. A lot of princess songs are about fucking. They like, are. They are. There's not a whole lot to like you really hash over it. You like it. And it makes you feel things. And but, like he consistently is capable of doing that. Yeah. And the thing about it is that he loves to talk about filthy shit, but not in a filthy way. Mm. Yes. He loves to make you think about it. Mm. Yes. Um, and there's a, oh God, I can't remember what song it is, but it's got a great line. He talks about, um, he references taking a bubble bath like 48 times uh-huh, in that one uh-huh. song Listen. as well as other songs. <laughs> but in this particular song, he says, he says something like, my pants are wet. Um, I take them off. But. She said she's not going to watch the movie because she didn't read the book first. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> that was the That was Dorothy, Dorothy Parker. Parker. Yeah. Was it Dorothy yeah. Parker? Yeah, yeah. yeah. you take yeah. a bubble bath with this Yeah. <laughs> I love that line. I love it so hard. I have to leave my pants on because I got a woman. <laughs> it's great. Oh, Prince. So good. Yeah. So see, I don't, I don't hate this album, Jeannie. There's okay, some good okay, shit on it. Okay. Like, you know, it's just gotta okay. dig a little deeper. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have no real uh, bullets for this. Um, song. I, I just want to say, I, I really liked the harmonies on this song. Ah, mm. oh, it's gorgeous when he dips mm. up into the, uh, the falsetto, and they has like the, um, I don't, I don't remember mm. who's singing with him, but, ah, uh, it's gorgeous. I loved it. I can't remember. It may just be him with himself, himself, but I, I don't, I don't, I can't remember. Yeah. You fooled me. You, you. No, continue. I have something to say, but launch into the next song because I think, I think it's worth saying then. Okay, so the next song is "Hot Thing," Genie. Well, <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> right into it. Well, okay. So we're talking about songs where. Like Prince talks about fucking in a lot of songs. Yeah. Mm. And like the thing is, is like one of Prince's, one of Prince's first albums was Dirty Mind, and like it was raunchy for the time. Like is the thing, um, and especially for like black music and for like R and B in general. Like um, I was reading about this. I was listening to a podcast about it too. And it was just kind of interesting because you didn't quite want to talk about those things at the time. Like, it was just a little much to have on on albums. Um, and so it was kind of like, it was cool, but it was also hard to receive at the same time. And then at the same time, Prince, like, went to, like, the UK and, like, he did a few, like, shows there and he was like, they're a lot more open about this stuff here. They're not weird about it here, which is a lot of what contributed to him, like diving into the image that he went with and being very sexual and very over the top because he saw that somewhere else. And he's like, well, let's do that. And it, and it worked really well for him. It worked really well. Didn't we learn that he is responsible for the parental advisory? Yes, yes he is. He is. <laughs> because 
Oh, what yeah, was her t- name? Tipper Gore's daughter. Yes, heard, heard her daughter singing to darling Nikki. And she was yep. like 11. Uh, yep. And so she's like, we but cannot like, do okay, this. Okay, y'all, think about it. We're in middle school. You guys are in grade school. You hear darling Nikki. And what time. were we listening to? I Girl, wanna I was slip, lick, lick, lick you from your head to your toes. I, I wanna, wanna move from the bed, bed down, down to the down to the floor. My mom still doesn't know that I heard that song. That's well, not true. Well, Liz Cox. <laughs> Liz. <laughs> well, that's all I need for you. She knows I'm a heathen at this point. So. <laughs> and it say. wasn't our fault. How old are you? Like, of course you've heard it at this point. It's on the record for now. The it record. wasn't their fault. Oh, my God. Um, so we're talking about hot thing. <laughs> There's a line in there. Um, it talks about uh, tell them you're going to the crystal ball, which probably <laughs> is a direct reference to um, the album. And so now I'm going to talk about the journey of the album. Um, so, yeah, around, uh, when did this album go in? 87? So in 86, he was on tour with the, the Revolution and he was already at work on some songs for um, uh, the idea, uh, uh, The Dream Factory, right? Which he was a uh, record with The Revolution. Correct, yeah. The Revolution was um, on this record. Lisa. Yes, working on this record with him. Um, and at the same time, he was working on Camille, okay? And so he had the solo album, uh, Housequake was on Camille, um, as well as the other songs that Camille is on in this record. So Camille had eight songs total. Dream Factory started out with like nine and then went to like six, 18 and then went to 19. Um, the deal with... Uh, Warner Brothers a was three like three disc LP. Yes, um, massive. Yeah, it's gonna be fucking huge. Um, but then he fired the Revolution, October seventh, October eighth. He went in and recorded Housequake, um, and it was this Warner Bros didn't want to do a three disc LP. They said, "Holy shit, that is big. far too big." No, they thank were like, you. The production yeah, cost of that's gonna be ridiculous. Well, and they even talked about the production cost for this album and how even though it, there's less going on with like instrumentation and things like that this was like the most expensive record that he had made to date uh-huh yes uh-huh. yes yeah. precisely yeah. precisely yeah that uh the drum machine itself was like five thousand dollars now it's probably cheaper to make an album with a drum machine yeah the whole band. oh and yeah then mm-hmm. yeah but yeah i mean it was five thousand dollars in 1987 Woo-hoo. yeah so so yeah, we had this we had um, this idea for Crystal Ball, this three disc album, and then it was cut down to two discs, and now we have Sign of the Times, um, and so we have sort of songs from all three of those iterations inside of the Times. Um, the amount of things that Prince like w- like kind of wanted to do and kind of wanted to mount, and then like would scrap. Be like, wait, actually, or something would happen, and he'd be like, mm, can't do it that way. I mean, I think that's just his style. He's I so know, prolific. but I love, I love the like certain degree of like mystery and like the pickiness of it so yeah. much. I yeah. think that Prince is one of those artists who never. He held himself to such a standard and was yeah. always he, like, creating. Always yes. He was not going to make the music that they needed him to make to make right. all that money. He was going to make the music that he wanted to make when he was ready to make it. And he did. And he was. 
Well, I just, the only re- I I wanted to jump in was he's just, good he's as done. a musician as as he is as a frontman as he is as a like producer as he is anything. Ugh. He um he did uh, a lot of things that I did not realize that were kind of like leading ahead um, of other people. So he created a website in the early two thousands, um, like two thousand and one, I think that he then basically primarily began distributing his music through that website and was one of the first artists to begin doing that. And he even had a subscription service where... He cares about his stuff immensely and protecting it and releasing it the way he wants to. Yeah, and he he would release... uh, To people who subscribe to his website, they would get three unreleased Prince songs a month for that first year that they were... Yeah. Um, And then... He would also have parties at his studio. So this this couple of things that um, Brandon and I talked about earlier, but he would have these parties at his studio once a year where he would invite fans and other people that he knew and all this stuff um, just to, you know, celebrate. And um, one of these particular things, or a few of these particular parties, he was having uh, recorded, filmed uh, by a certain filmmaker named Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith has not released any of this documentary footage. He's just sitting on it and has it somewhere. He talks about it in some interview or something like that he did. Um, but, yeah, like, I read in his website thing, and basically just, like, by the time that he shut down this website in, like, 2006, he had really, like, done some great things as far as, like, seizing control of his own music. It's, it was cool. I didn't know that he was so far ahead on that front. Yeah. So we reached the last song on the first disc. Oh, no. I mean, it's not actually that surprising that he's the forerunner on that because he's so. The whole reason he. He was petty. Was he was happy to be petty to make a point. Uh huh, uh huh. Yeah. That's also. You got my name? Fine. It's also He was um, like one of the first artists on Tidal, wasn't he? Yes. Boom. This Wait, say that again? He was one of the first artists on Tidal and that was exclusively oh. exclusively the way he released his music. Wow. You know, it sort of makes sense like going back to like Minneapolis, like the the, the artists that really have to sink or swim and he swam the fuck out of it and he's been doing that like this whole time well not only that yeah he just was not willing to be played by people ever ever yeah he looked at spotify and he was like absolutely not embarrassing (laughs) below me please teamed up with jay-z and beyonce instead Mm. 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 so we reached the last song in the album uh the first disc rather um forever in my life which is a uh Kind of a straightforward love song. Let me tell you how much I hate this damn song. Whoop. <laughs> Let me just tell you. So I'm in my room today, right? And I, I listened to this a few times, but this is one I sort of, like, in the back of my brain not paid very much attention to. And then today I did. Today I did, and I'm very sorry that I did. It is the most redundant little bitch-ass song I have heard in a very long time. And it is like, where did this come from? Who tried this for? Was this for you? He was looking at the mirror when he wrote You wrote this for you? You didn't even.
try. Very formulaic. And I, that's the thing about this whole album is that, like, it, yeah, my first or second listen, fifth listen, it was completely unremarkable to me. Like, it, it, and the more I read up on it and the more I kept, like, forcing myself to listen to it, it's very apparent now that it's less about the material he was writing and more about, like, what he's doing production-wise. Like, that's the exciting part. Um, so, now we get into disc two. Uh, the here we are, folks. Here we are, folks. Um, the first song of disc two is You Got the Look, and it is the third single and probably the best-selling single of this record, of this record. Um, and uh, it's another Camille song. He bang him. He, uh, apparently the story with this track, it's a, it's a, it's a typical impressed. 80s, huh? like, did you look unimpressed? Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's your typical '80s like workout tune, right? Yeah. Like, no. This is this is one of the songs that I felt like was written for somebody else. Let me tell you the story. He uh, he wrote the song um, as a experiment, right? He had this friend, companion, whatever. It's not really defined, um, and he this this person sort of whatever their reaction was to uh the songs was sort of dictated how the, n the next songs that prince would write would sort of sound like um and so he wrote this song to see if she would dance to it right um and he wrote it and she hated it hated it but it wasn't until it reached top 10 um the rest of the world loved it that she started to love it so it was a commercial experiment like songwriting experiment that he did for, um, that for this girl, for this friend. Um, so maybe according to Melissa, she should have, Prince should have listened to her. Prince closed the door. Uh, <laughs> Give it to somebody else. I don't know. It just bothered me. Yeah. Um, isn't this the one that's got, uh, Sheena Easton. She, yeah. Sheena Easton on it. Yeah, uh, a couple of episodes back, we were talking about you were talking about the magical quality of uh, studios. Yeah, this is another song. Sheena Easton <laughs> was just there and waltzed in, and uh, Brins was like, "Oh, hey, you want to try this with me?" And she's like, "Yeah, sure, fuck it, whatever." Um, and yeah, he played around with it a lot, um, and it wasn't until he sped up the track to make him sound like Camille again that he was satisfied with the song. That he was like, "Okay, it's done." Um, so yeah, it's our next appearance with Camille. I, I have a love hate relationship with these stories of studio magic happening, <laughs> because as someone who's only ever recorded in studios where like one group records at a time, there's nobody else there. Right. I really wish I could just oh hey look there's Sheena Easton why don't you hop on some vocals on this one? Well, Colton, hey. you're not Prince. <laughs> that is true. I know that, but he's not the only one. No. It hurts. It hurts, Melissa. Just I'm, reminds me that I'm poor. Oh. <laughs> I'm and not popular. <laughs> You're popular in my heart. Yeah. Uh, we love you. Well. Sometimes. Oh. If you can get me Prince's money, then that would be great. Girl. <laughs> I'm telling you, you need to recruit Lisa Maddox to do your <laughs> PR and you will be famous in two years flat. Lisa, you <laughs> need a job? You need a new project? 
Is she does. She's not going to have a job for April. Okay. Come on. All right. All right, all right, all right. Sorry, 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 sorry. As much as I love Lisa, we should continue. Yeah, we're wasting a lot of time. Um, yeah, I... I for one love the '80s workout tunes, like like Radio Gaga. I find that like like a '80s. It's not '80s, but it's like a workout tune. It's like, I kind of like those. Um, so yeah, I get it. I get it. You know. Okay. Uh, moving right along, um, we have kind of Camille, Camille, Camille with these next few tracks. Um, if I was your girlfriend. Oh. This was one of the weirder ones for me. Yeah. Let me tell songs. you why I didn't like this song. She burst from Am I recording? <laughs> Does Kenneth hear me? That's good. That's great. Because this song <clears throat> is a, 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 a world-class... What's the word I'm looking for? Um, example of a controlling ass relationship like this song pisses me off on so many levels because there are so many dudes out here who are like well but won't you let me do this and won't you let me do that and why don't you let me you let your friends and yeah bitch come let my friends do it because they're my friends like that's a whole different sort of relationship okay yeah. like you don't get to do everything my girlfriends do that is not the role that you are in here this song pissed me off well i mean it is an expression of jealousy Super! It's just like, let me be your everything. And it's like, oh, no, 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 It's specifically about Susanna and Wendy's relationship. They're, like, they're, they're sisters. fucking sisters, Prince. Twin sisters. Sit down. So I get it. I absolutely get it. But that kind of stuff, that that's a irrational jealousy that is, it, I can't, can't do it. Listen, can't deal with it. You gotta write a song about it, though. Gotta get those feelings Uh-uh, out. uh-uh, because, uh-uh. Because men hear this thinking, oh, this is uh, fine. Wow. Oh, 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 yeah, absolutely. True. Why Why am I not your everything? Why don't True. you tell me everything? Oh, please. <laughs> okay. Precisely. Fair enough. Fair enough. If you were Camille, maybe it'd be a different story, but you're not, Prince. You're not. I guess I'm thinking about it from Prince's perspective where he's just like, shitting out a song and this is what happened to be on his mind at that well he didn't time. think about the repercussions <laughs> clearly he did not i don't think i don't think prince is really someone who thinks about repercussions that's for sure <laughs> yeah or was someone who and also unfortunately if this is how he feels about it it tells me a lot about him as a man in a relationship with a woman <laughs> a lot of insecurities. so that and that makes me yeah. lose respect for him because I've been in a relationship with a man like that who just has irrational fears about dumb shit, and it is not it is not okay. It is a pure okay. form of abuse. Well, and that's Boys, certainly, it is not okay. That is certainly not what I was saying. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. All right. Well, as long as that's clear. The next Camille song is uh, Strange Relationship, and um, yeah. But that's what I have to say about that. The Camille stuff... I think I kind of want to hear it top to bottom. Sorry to interrupt you. I kind of want to hear that album. Like yeah, I want that no, album to be That's kind of what I was getting at because I feel like without the context of the rest of the album, these songs are just strange and they seem very like I don't know. Like there's like this weird split personality thing going on. It feels a little off the rails. Well, he talks about that at various points of time. Like it's not a surprise. I guess I don't understand what you mean. Prince, well, I mean, like, one of his things was he he kind of made the comment multiple times. He's like, sometimes I feel like there are other people inside of me. Oh, well, I guess I didn't know this. So this idea of embodying them 
pops up a couple of times. Which, which totally makes sense, but at the same time... Oh, Camille's Princess fucking some, crazy. Princess some crazy shit. Camille's okay. fucking like, crazy. Well, no one's saying she's not. Yeah, and that's just what I think, taking these songs out of the context of the Camille album... They just make even they, they're like weird. they maybe maybe they would have made sense if they were all together, but yeah. just kind of thrown in with these other songs, it's just kind of like odd. They're just odd. Yeah, they are. They are. Personal opinion. Camille. And they're the ones change. that made the album not make sense to me the most. Like it felt like. Oh yeah. Like I was, I was telling Colton earlier, if I was looking at this from an outsider's perspective and didn't know anything about Camille and didn't know anything about his alter egos and knew very little about Prince, this album would make no sense. Like this would sound like he has lost his mind mm-hmm. <laughs> full on. Like he is having a full on mental breakdown during this mm-hmm. album. That's what it sounds like from an outsider. So it's like, it just doesn't fit. I wish that it was the whole album. I wish that album had been able oh, to be yeah. released because I feel like it would have all made sense together. I, you know, not to get, you know, keep derailing the train anymore, but I really, I kind of want to know why this was considered such a, like, critics just, like, raved about how fantastic this album was. A masterpiece, yeah. I heard this album be called. Yeah, and I... I a weird sentence it's I not even, So, like, I don't even necessarily totally dislike it. Like, I definitely can see why it's been considered to be one of the best albums, but I just think... Music-wise, Prince has made much more cohesive, uh, cooler-sounding stuff, I guess. I mean, I don't know. It's a lot of a personal And maybe it's just because it was something that he'd never done before, and it was still kind of out of left field for him. I mean, you feel about the way the critics feel about this album the way I feel about the critics feel about Pet Sounds. Like, I don't understand why they think it's so revolutionary, because it just sounds like mumble-jumble to me. I think... I think you're right. I think what you what you're saying about this being um, uh, kind of a, a thing for Prince, like it, it's a huge change, and that's what Pet Sounds was for the Beach Boys. It's just this drastic shift in sound that um, it's not easy to do, and it's you know Prince is one of those artists that's known to do this, and I think this was one of the first like real major shifts that he did because I, I, pretty much everything up to this point kind of lined up with all of his musical background that happened in Minneapolis like all the bands that he played in everything mm-hmm. that he'd written up to that point but then this album is the real like turning point and I don't think he necess- he stays kind of in this sound for like a couple more albums but then he shifts it again uh, at the beginning of the 90s especially when he changes his name to the symbol so yeah moving right along um he sort of tries to redeem himself a little bit in um as far as like being that jealous man um I could never take the place of your man right the whole the story of that song you know is uh, this this woman who is heartbroken at a bar like is trying to hook up with prince and prince is like oh you know what? It's not tonight. It's not tonight, baby. I'm so sorry. We're not, we can't do this. We can't do this because I could never take the place of your man. Um, yeah, it was the last single of this album. Um, and pretty, an underwhelming song to me. In my ever so humble opinion. It's a weird choice as a third single to release off of it. Yeah. 
Mm. And there's like there is a callback, um, or some say it's a callback. Uh, talks about um, your man left in June in the title track. Um, he references his cousin tried reefer in September, and now he's on course heroin, and it's June. Kind of insinuating the fact that you know this is this is sort of the like this triangle going on, yeah. So in that regard, it's cohesive and connected, but like just barely. Um, yeah. Any other opinions, y'all? No, this was one that um, I just didn't really have a whole lot of opinions about. Mm, yeah. I think it's a weird song. <laughs> It sounds like it should On be a country song. song. It kind of does, yeah. yeah. Like, oh, I want it to be a country you. song. <gasps> he did do some country writing, too. I want it to be a country song. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I feel like if Garth writing. Brooks released this, so I'd be into it. Now. Yeah. You say that, and I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. And I think it's just I because of the story. Like, the story yeah. doesn't make sense story. with the music, but if, if you put that story in a, in a country song, I'd be in it. Where's the steel guitar? Garth Brooks. Me, Jeep. <laughs> yeah. so let's you say that and it makes so much sense I'm like alright we've solved the mystery of that song I mean, I'm so glad um, uh, so I I don't yeah I don't consider the last two tracks to be like a part of a full concept um, so like for me in my brain this is like the last track and the other two are kind of bonus tracks you know what I mean um, but the cross I really liked musically. I love this song. Me too. It's beautiful. It's so. It is the most dynamic out it's of any of the songs in this track. It goes from and loving. Zero to, yes. I, I personally like this one because this yes. dipped into um, Prince's more rock focused sound, which mm. I I just love when the man wails on guitar. Mm -hmm. He's so good. Mm -hmm. Now Melissa seems like she's in stark disagreement, though. <laughs> Flabbergasted. Thoughts, Miss Williams Meyer? I hated this song. <gasps> Do tell why. I hated it. I just felt like I was thrown into some fucking eight a.m. fucking secular service on no, a Sunday okay. morning, and I couldn't I take it. I could not take it. That's the thing. I could not. It, it yeah. actually was painful. Like I could not listen to the song <laughs> all the way through, and I tried a few times, and I couldn't do it. It I, just irked me. I genuinely. This was. One time, I very rarely do this, but this was one time where I kind of tone out the words. And see, that was all I could focus on with this song. I just because it is. And normally, like religious cross, music hello. doesn't bother me. Like I am, yeah, I am, same. I am into some religious sh shit if it's good, you know, whatever. Right. But this just, oh, it was just a, it was just a real shit like Sunday school knife. Like I, I didn't also, like it. I, didn't I like also it. did not know that. I didn't know. Prince was Christian. Yeah, Jehovah's Witness. Jehovah's Witness. Serious Christian. I, I only legitimately have a passing knowledge. I don't know anything about Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, large part of it's just because I've always appreciated his guitar playing a lot more than anything else that he does. Mm -hmm. But no, but yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. Mm -mm. He's a loving song. He it, loves God. He yeah. loves Jesus. I do. Yeah, get his it religion was a huge. Part it of was life. huge. Huge. He was a deeply religious man. Okay. This this the, the, the lyrics sort of insinuate like um like 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 well, I sort of had this conversation with some other people earlier this week um but there's this notion that um you know if 
your life is sort of like at a disappointing place or things are not going right for you, um, it's essentially because you are not giving your all to the Lord Almighty. Absolutely. Right? That's, that's what the Provost Witnesses these, believe. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that, that's why they go door to door. Their whole lives are given to the church. Like, everything is given to the church because they don't believe Jesus is risen yet. Right. So their their whole world is wrapped around being ready when he comes. And that, I think, is actually a lyric. It's like, yeah, like he's it, it, coming that's, or something. That's what show. popped up. My dad was raised Seven-Day Advent. And so all of the uh, seven-day Advents are basically black Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> like, and they're, it's a very similar religion. But this, so that's kind of, this song got, like, I was, I was really pegged in on the lyrics because I understand the religion so well. And I understood where it was coming from. And it just, like, I just felt like I had been dragged into somebody's 8 a.m. secular service. Like, I, it just felt so, <laughs> like, guys, you've been whoa, had. Jesus, get out of my room. Like, I'm not about this life right now. Like, I don't know. It just, it, yeah, I just couldn't do it. That makes sense. That makes sense. Me, I, yeah. Musically, it, it, it hypnotized me. because There's such an effort on it. Yeah. It's like this, like, bright, like, sword that he holds aloft. Like, it is glittering. <laughs> it is beautiful. Now, it is well over the top produced. Personally, It is meant to be a beautiful, soaring song in his mind. But... No, uh, I think, like Brandon says, it, this song has, there's an actual, like, dynamic to it. It's not just one one groove that's carried throughout the song with, like, some slight variations. That's that's really what caught me is because it has a really nice build to it. And um, the drums are so jarring when they come in because it's so much louder. Um, and most of the time with songs like that, the drums are, you know, a little more dialed back until they really crescendo it. But... It just came in hard, and I just thought it was a really cool production. And that, like, um, when when all the music fades out, and he does like f the final, like the cross, yeah. right? That chord ooh, gives me goosebumps. That's really good. <laughs> but we've been had, we've been drugged into the church. Oh, I was dead. Well, no, listen, you I gotta say this, Melissa. And like, and I, and I, I will not song. say, I, you know, musically, I get, I get it, I get what y'all are saying. But put that all together, <laughs> and it is dead ass church. It is church, and that's fine. It's fine. It just it just was kind of like a. It's, uh, but it's not in the church in the same I way think that I, like I, what's I, going I on. I had on shuffle church. at one point, oh, and so yeah, we went yeah. from like it to this, and I was just like, what? "This is the same fucking album." Like again, uh, what what is this song doing on this album? Like you could, he could have released this well, all by itself. I yeah, I'd like to think that this. Uh, and it probably would have really well. I mean, it would have done great, but I think it's a great closer to this, uh, however loose it is. I get that, story. but that particular song, I feel like, unfortunately, it I feel like he kind of x but he also x a, a a fan base he could have roped in by oh, releasing sure. that as a single because putting yeah. it on this album, it got none of his church friends can buy no, this not album. Buy the rest of it, no. They <laughs> you know what I mean? It as a single, though. But, but if they had released they that as a single, they single and went home and everyone played oh. it every day, all oh. day, twenty four seven. That's all you hear in the churches. Yeah, um, would have been a huge thing. It would have been great. That is a missed opportunity. I'm telling you, I think it was attributes to um, also. This is kind of the the beginning of the time frame of his struggle with Warner Brothers. And by the end of that, he was literally just like putting out albums to end his relationship with them. Like 
he was not really putting a whole lot of thought into it. And I think this particular one, um, I think he was a little bit bitter about it uh, because he had to cut uh, uh, Crystal. A whole third album. What, what's the name? Crystal. Chris, the Palace? Crystal Ball. Crystal Ball. He had to cut that down. And he also, you know, kind of had to shuffle in a bunch of different stuff. And I feel like this was really just him beginning to be like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to make these like really kind of sub. They were holding albums. him down. They were. They he were. wasn't doing the shit that he wanted to be able to do that he knew he was capable of. And if they'd have just yeah. fucking balled up and backed him. Mm. He had an artistic vision. Uh, you were talking about an essay that you were reading um, earlier today, and um, I, I quite like that. Like, it's sort of like Sign of the Times. Um, the song is sort of, it, it, it's painting a picture of what's going on in the world. It's sort of, we're, we're reaching the end of the world, um, and all of these songs uh, that are yes. going through it are sort of um, not necessarily a, not it's not let one me, solution, uh, but there are, like, different. Let me find the, the quote, because I think this will yeah. help you. It really will. Um, so this was uh, okay. Can just continue. You know, essentially, that these these songs are not like it's not one cohesive solution, but these are different. These are different routes that a person could go on. Like um, here are the things that could happen. Which one are you gonna pick? He compared it to the the end of the world, and it wasn't necessarily. Um, it was about like the politics of survival and that prince showed you all of this and then gave you different paths that you can He's take. another one of those voice of God types. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Talked about it with Marvin Gaye. The yeah. same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that as an interesting addition. Yeah. So we go story. into uh, the, the two live tracks that are tagged on to the end of this album for whatever reason. Uh, and these two even though the revolution of course are playing oh. they are not credited did you find it i did i just found it <laughs> i don't care anymore um <laughs> let him let him say his quality he's doing no, all this work no. trying to find it <laughs> My goodness. okay so it's from an mtv news writer um i'm not gonna try and say his name because i'll probably butcher it so i apologize but um the album functions as a political action and that the politics are not those of solutions but those of survival in the face of that which you might no not survive for much longer. The politics of survival say that we may dance in the face of a coming apocalypse. We may, in the face of a coming apocalypse, go to bed with someone we love or someone we didn't know before the night started. We may play in the streets or fantasize about a new world to run into. On Sign of the Times, after laying out this ter terrifying landscape, Prince pushes the landscape aside, lays out all of our options for survival on a table, and tells us to take our pick. Talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's most of the critical reception I've read about this album. I'm like, well, I don't know about all that. <laughs> I think, uh, I don't know. For me, that's the one that, like, that's the one that can make the album make a little bit more sense for me. You Fair know? Enough. Um, yeah. Well, next song. So we move into these two live tracks at the end, um, and uh, even though yeah, the the revolution played on these songs, they're not credited on the album. Um, it's just Prince. And the first one is it's gonna be a beautiful night. 
It was recorded August of 86 at the Zenith in Paris. Um, and Sheila E. actually has, like, a rap in it. Well, she's not, like, actually rapping in the live thing. It's, like, overdubbed. And it's, it's like, the trans-Mississippian rap is what, like, Prince called it because she was on the phone on the other side of the Mississippi when she rapped this rap. I don't know. It's crazy. Um, and then the other song is Adore, um, which is also a live track that the revolution played on. And that closes out uh, Sign of the Times, those two, those two tracks. I've been trying to find some kind of justification for all of the just like randomness of this record. Um, I kept trying to relate it back to mixtapes in my mind. Kind of the idea that this is like a Prince mixtape, you know, but while mixtapes were probably still fairly prominent in 1987, I feel like they were probably not as much of a popular thing might have been a little less novel at this point. But I don't know about all that. That's just what I've been trying to, like, the last day or two, I've been trying to, like, <laughs> formulate this into, like, oh, this is like a Prince mixtape. But I don't know that I really feel that strongly about that point. Just a, a point of view that I thought I might offer. Hmm. The whole thing is bonkers. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I feel like so much of Prince's music gets a little bonkers. Uh, yeah. Yes, that is true. That is true. A little off the wall. Yeah. Well, not we to did. reference a Michael Jackson album, but... <laughs> <laughs> ding, ding. I gotcha. It um, took me a minute, but I gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> She's got the jokes. I have to ride the elevator up. I got, I got all the jokes. <laughs> so this emotionally drained all of us. Um, great. Um... <laughs> Yeah, Prince's Sign of the Times. Uh, very recently, a, uh, a a deluxe version of this album was released a, a few months ago. It's nine hours long. Yeah, there's like 45 unreleased tracks on that. Yeah. And, so much other stuff. and there are probably six or seven tracks that are done twice. Live, live versions, remastered right. versions. Yes. Those are yeah, fun. Yeah. I mean, it was fine. I'm, I don't I don't have the time for it. There's a lot. See, yeah. I can't I can't judge too much because I have a uh, Bob Dylan basement tapes collection that's like six CDs, <laughs> so I I can't judge too much. Don't have the time for it. <laughs> I have not listened to all of it, so I don't either. Apparently, but you know, uh, in the grand scheme of things, I am glad that I did make the time for sign O the times. Even though I hated it initially, I um, see. I don't. I grew to appreciate it. I, it's not my favorite record, but I definitely it did not such have as much success too, though. Wildly, that's, I just didn't uh, have as that's many what's negative fun feelings. About it. It's a tough to chew through album, and then like it soared in critical success. Like, right. It, well, and I think a lot, a lot of the critics uh, put it under the category of like an avant-garde pop album, which mm -hmm. I think is probably the best description of it. Yeah. That was one thing about Prince. He transcended. I want yeah. more of those. <laughs> Give us art pop, but not like Lady Gaga, like like actual oh. art I still pop. got respect for Lady Gaga. Miss Gaga. Yeah, why are you banging on Lady Gaga? I don't know. That's not what I was trying to do with that statement. We're all just bagging on everybody. <laughs> Listen, 
Okay, anyway. Um, <laughs> we did it. We did it. We went through Sign of the Times. How do you feel? Are you exhausted? Uh, yeah. It was a daunting task. Truly. Listen, I... I don't know what you were thinking. <laughs> I, I Same. I saw Colton a couple days ago. I said, tell him to change it. Tell him to cancel. <laughs> I, you, no! If you would have told me, I would have been convinced. I would have been like, yeah, let's do something else. I was like, I don't want to do this. It's like you could pick anything right now. Tell me to listen to a different album right now. And Colton's like, oh, I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be good. And I was like, fine. I think it's so... So I think this, by far, has been one of my like favorite ones to research all the stuff behind it. Yeah, because we went down a few rabbit holes. Yes, we went, the whole Dorothy Parker thing was just kind of a lovely treat for myself. Uh, treat. But, um, no. Uh, Can't leave a, it's, a horticulture. He, so it's one thing I really enjoy about name. Prince. He picked uh, the most generic like <laughs> waitress name he could think of. Dorothy Parker. Dorothy. And here's the thing is that Prince did not know. No. He didn't know. He just picked a generic sounding name. Dorothy Parker. My, my, Dorothy. Whole, my whole thing that I really liked about this though is because like prince much like david bowie has his fingers in so many different things whenever you research prince you can find so many connections to different bands the multiple acts he started yes yeah things he wrote for in various genres that's all the research i did about you know like like jimmy jam and terry lewis and then um um lisa and um wendy wendy their whole thing, like, it's just cool to see, like, how he played such a role That's in good. helping uh, support so many other um, artists. And then also, one thing that I loved was I found a tie between um, Jimmy Jam and uh, Prince and then also Clarence Avant, um, who is a prominent person in music in this time frame. And uh, documentary uh, Black Godfather on Netflix about him is fantastic um but yeah just you know seeing how all these different spheres of influences kind of came together in this time it it was cool i don't know i i really like the research part of it yeah yeah so in hindsight i'm glad you did not reach out and tell me to change the album because i 100 (laughs) percent would have (laughs) i wasn't trying to be difficult (laughs) it was difficult i was gonna make colton tell you is it that the easy shit anyway picked the wrong guy Ah. <laughs> mm. Okay. Um, we're done. Goodbye. We're, uh, <laughs> this is why you are not the host. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> We've reached the end of our broadcast day. Uh, um, we are going to reconvene one last time for this collection, <sighs> and we will be listening to. Um, a live album. The big yes. reveal. The big reveal. The big reveal. Um, Bob Dylan um, played a concert and everybody hated it. And we're going to listen to that album. Um, That's the best description for that. I just got to be tortured this year, aren't I? <laughs> yes, you are. You know what? I think, I think I'll just leave one collection. Like, Melissa is just going to pick every single album. Listen, I, I'm excited, though, because if you do hate this album, everyone that's listening to it in this room agrees with you. <laughs> agrees with you. So you can jump right in with all of them bagging on Bob Dylan. <laughs> I don't like Bob Dylan in general, so I'm going to hate it. It's going to be torture. All right, all right, all right. What were you going to say? Were you going to say something? You looked poised to say something. Well, you know, I was, and it was just a little Prince story where, and he played, like, a... Uh, 
he also played a show where he like got completely booed off the fucking stage. Oh yeah, oh, I he think was wearing, we, he was it, dressed yeah. down to his skitties. Yeah, he was wearing. He was a, playing with the Stones, and it was uh, in L.A. Yes, yep. And they were shits to him. He was wearing a trench coat and uh, black bikini bottoms, uh. <laughs> and the crowd threw trash at. They were like, "What the fuck? Get out of here!" So. That happens. Even the big guys got to deal with the shit sometimes. They do. They really. There do. is this epic moment, though. I don't know if any of you have seen the footage from it. There's this epic moment at a James Brown concert where he pulls up Michael Jackson and Prince, Prince out yeah. of the audience. Yeah. On stage, and it's just like a. <gasps> That's just because James Brown is magical. It's a moment. Existence. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Okay. Well. Um, yeah. Until next time. Um, We're done. Goodbye. Stay safe out there. Jesus Christ. We're going to edit the <laughs> shit out of her soon. <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> Stay safe out there. We all love you. Make good choices. Make the best choices because ultimately you have to live with those. Wear choices. your mask. Wear your goddamn mask over your goddamn nose. Please over your nose. Oh, okay. Anyway. One, two, three. Bye. 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 That was the best chord we've done yet. That was nice. Yeah.